Hello and welcome back, listener. How are you doing? You are obviously listening to My Surrogacy Journey, the podcast season two. We're back for another incredible episode and you're going to really enjoy this one. Yes, you are. Hello, I'm Michael, Wes's better half, and we are back in the studio, but this time we're in Dublin. More on that in a second. Thank you for downloading us again. Um, Have you subscribed yet? No? Well, make sure you do. And if you're new here, hello. Today's episode is all about the fertility elements for Irish intended parents and the things they need to think about when embarking on a surrogacy journey. We even have a sponsor this season. Tell us more, Michael. This episode is proudly supported by Sims IVF in Ireland. Sims IVF, with over two decades of experience, they are the leading name in fertility treatments in Ireland, dedicated to bringing hope and happiness to many couples and individuals. They understand that each journey is unique, and that's why at Sims IVF, they offer personalised care tailored to your needs. Sims IVF is committed to your family journey. Take the first step towards your future today. Visit their website at sims.ie to learn more about their services and success stories. And as Michael said, we're back in one of our favourite cities, Dublin, and you have the pleasure of both of us and our guests on what's set to be a really insightful episode. Today, we're talking to our friends at Sims IVF here in Dublin. We've been developing our services and membership, and that's why this episode may be of interest to you in particular. So we're joined in the studio today by Mikey O'Brien, who is the group clinical director, by Dr. Alex, who is the group medical director, and by Karen Ferguson, who is the group director of nursing and clinical services. What a lineup of guests we have today. Uh, Hello. How are we? Great. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. More than welcome. Right, Wes, just frame this episode then for our lovely listener in terms of what we're going to be covering off and why is this going to be useful so you may have listened to some of our other episodes and what we've tried to do with these irish episodes is give you a real understanding of the kind of the logical order of your journey and today's episode is all around all of those elements around fertility so embryo creation or if you have embryos already what do you need to consider and that's why the guys here today are here really to help us understand or help you the listener understand exactly what you might need so before we dive into some questions let's get to know you three a little bit better um mikey tell us a little bit about you and what you do at sims please so as you said there mike i'm the group clinical director i've worked in healthcare for about 21 years and i started off as an a and e nurse then i became a midwife and loved delivering babies and then when myself and my husband decided to have our own babies I moved into the world of fertility professionally and personally and yeah so I've been working for Sims for six years now Um, started off as the group or as a nurse manager then a group director of nursing and now I am where I am (laughs) and do you find that when you then work in both the professional and the personal element of fertility that once you're in you're like locked in you just feel so invested into that profession Mm, like when I was a midwife I used to think there's no better job satisfaction than delivering a baby Mm -hmm. but now because I've had my own personal journey and my professional journey is working in fertility the job satisfaction you get helping couples or individuals have a baby or get on the pathway to having a baby Mm -hmm. is just as good magic thank you uh dr alex hello 
Hi, how are you doing? I'm really good, thank you. So tell us a little bit about you, please, sir. Your role, what you do, and a bit of background. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my real name, of course, is Alejandro, okay? Alejandro Aldape, I'm Mexican myself. I've been working in fertility for the last 14 years. I've been trained initially in Mexico, uh, my country, and then moved to Barcelona. Uh, back in 2009, I did uh, my assisted reproduction training there, and I moved to Ireland back in 2017, and since then working here in Ireland, amazing country. Uh, in Sims, uh, for the last, I would say, nearly two years now, and yeah, so my role as medical director, as clinical as, as clinical director, will be to look after, of course, my team, my staff, my doctors, and try to... Um, make the journey uh, easy for everybody and helping as much uh, people as possible. Phenomenal. Amazing. And last, but by no means least, uh, Karen Ferguson. Tell us a little bit more about you, please. Thank you. So, yeah, I am Karen Ferguson. I did my nurse training in Belfast before moving to the UK. Um, That's where I started my fertility nursing career um, and then moved back to Dublin continued in fertility, started with Sims initially as theatre nurse manager before moving on to uh, nurse manager and taking over from Mikey as group director of nursing just earlier this year. So we have a very talented team here in front of us. I'm really looking forward to this episode. Absolutely. So Mikey, give us a bit of an insight to Sims. Tell us all about Sims because like, we are new to Ireland and we are trying to offer our services to Irish intended parents to help them navigate through a journey. But Sims really stood out for us. And I think it's because of, I think we have very aligned ethics. I think we are very aligned. We're just aligned in a lot of ways. So tell us more about Sims. So Sims was born, I think that's the correct word to use anyway, in 1997. So we're 26 years old this month. And I suppose it's the oldest IVF group in Ireland. So we have a lot of history. Um, But also along with having a lot of history in the last few years, there's been a lot of transition and a lot of change. Senior managers have changed. Company policies have changed in line with what's happening with the world. Our senior management team at the moment, when years ago the mean age might have been 50, 55, 60. Now we're right down into 30s and 40s, which is great. So the ideals of our patients are really listened to now. Um, you know, partnering with people like you is brilliant. You know, um, having a CEO or someone at the top of Sims that is gay and married and has two kids and understands the fertility journey is really important. Um, and I suppose as well, just with Sims to go back to, with six locations around the country, no other clinic has that, so we're accessible. And I think that's really important. Yeah, for sure. I think it's for us, I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about the products and services that you offer our members, but for us, having that network was really important because, you know, giving people accessibility to the, the products and services that they need and you having such a network is exactly what why we've partnered with you. Yeah, and just on the subject of network as well, we're part of a larger group called Virtus, which have clinics across the UK, across Australia mainly and the UK. So we have a in-depth wealth of knowledge that we can always hone into if we need to. There's experts all over the world that we can tap into if needed. So it's great to be a part of that larger family as well. And I think as we're going to talk about that that network and web of, of, of experts is something that we're seeing more and more clinics now leaning on. And, and as we're expanding into embryos being shipped and people working between a number of clinics now, that, that being part of a bigger group clearly is going to be beneficial to our members as well. We spoke about a partnership earlier in, in the last conversation. Let's talk about our partnership with Sims and My Surrogacy Journey. So 
for us as an organization, when we are coming to support intended parents in, in places like Ireland, we wanted to make sure that we have a network in Ireland. We didn't want Irish intended parents wanting to then have to use English providers. So for us, being embedded into the destination, helping people get access to local suppliers is really important, which is why for us this partnership was key. So some of the products and services that we get via you guys to help intended parents is, you know, semen analysis, it's uh, the, some, some blood work that needs to be done depending on the destination that you're going to. It's also getting some additional blood work for extended screening. And having that network was really important to us. If you, you know, tell us, tell, us, tell us a little bit more about that from your side and, how, and what that looks like. So from our side, it's, as you said, so important for that network to already be established for the patient. So whenever a patient's embarking on a journey, you nearly feel like you've already taken one more decision away from them and just making that journey that tiny little bit easier. And they can get reassurance from the fact that we have a relationship with each other and that we have a good relationship and we work really well with each other and we're communicative with each other. So being able to kind of take one decision albeit small and, and overall away from them is really good so that we can make that journey that little bit easier is really important to us. And again, the the investment and the relationship that we will have already built with each other. I think one of the things as well is, you know, when, when you don't know what you don't know and you're at the start of this journey, you know, as and everyone's nodding here. So we all, it's just a minefield and just knowing where to go and who to trust and, and part of the partnerships and the way we work with our members was, you know, cutting through a lot of that noise by having those trusted relationships already where, just like you said, Karen, you know, just that one decision's helped be made for them. So it's, it's, you know, you're really vulnerable when you're at that first point of a of an infertility journey or or a family creation journey, and and just working with a group of trusted professionals is super super important. Yeah. When we started supporting intended parents uh, a while ago, particularly in uh, like Northern Ireland, we often heard from them that there were clinics that just wouldn't treat them. They wouldn't even consider doing semen analysis. They weren't interested in like helping them. They, it was kind of like the doors were just closed. So that's why, again, I think having somewhere that they can go to, which is in close proximity to where they live, go because I think a lot of the time when intended parents are at the beginning of their journey they're really scared they're really anxious they know what they want to achieve but they don't know how to get there and they hear you know they use google they they hear anecdotally uh, how to achieve this but what we've tried to do with my surrogacy journey is create an environment where it's all tailor-made for them they can just walk through get access to what they need to do and then be guided through each particular milestone and I think the partnership with you guys allows that to happen. They can get access to all of the testing, the screening, the semen analysis at a really convenient time in close proximity to where they live and they don't have to travel too far. And for us, that's really important to our members. For for us as well. So uh, you see, it's very important to to build and have that trust from our patients. So essentially for us, it's it's, it's crucial that everybody that comes to SIMS, they, they feel supported. They feel that they can do all the investigations that they require for doing treatment, for going abroad, for doing whatever the journey they, they are they are they are willing to take or the path that they want to take. It's important for us that they are that they all the patients they are feeling that they are looked after. It's very important. Yeah, because it's that recognition that anyone that's gonna go on a surrogacy journey, it's quite a complex reason, whether it be two men, because you don't have a womb between you, or ovaries, so you need to do surrogacy to become parents are for the heterosexual couples that are going to go down the surrogacy route often 
that's you know it could be due to illness or a complex medical issue so it's about being sensitive to that and being wise to it and you know the surrogacy journey is a complex one but with our partnership we can make that we can soften it we can be compassionate we can you know have that advanced care we can you know prep our staff to look after these people gay couples single females heterosexual couples whichever because the background people deciding to do surrogacy you know it's a big decision um, and it's really it is really complex and it's really important for us having been on the receiving end of of care of seeing that spectrum of um, where there's no judgment here you know you you are arriving at a clinic and you know you know you surrogate is mentioned and the team are prepped everyone's aware your journey's known and again the partnership definitely ensures that our members are, are just taken care of and, and just like you said that part of that journey has been softened already it is and it's because so, it's so exciting the other day I was in my office whether it was last week or the, the week before and I saw two guys walking out of the clinic and I knew they were my surrogacy journey guys and like I was buzzing after seeing them because when I was having a family with my husband this wasn't available um, as broody as I am now as you know cause <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute but um, I saw the two boys walking down the driveway and I was like so pleased looking out at them it was just really nice and I think you had met them that day Karen as well and it was just really lovely and that's the thing is I know that if we send any of our members to your clinic you're going to really look after them and for me this is about a reciprocal relationship because I know that we're going to help your team understand surrogacy better be that safe space where they can ask questions where they can become more informed where they can then help people understand the journey better and I think it's all about confidence isn't it you know if you are comfortable with what you're understanding and you understand the process you understand how you can help your patient they're going to give a much better uh, service to the people coming through who need Need their support. Absolutely. And it's at exchange as well, both ways that you're providing us and our staff with such an insight into the world of uh, surrogacy. And then we're doing our bit in return. But it's brilliant to be able to have that relationship um, and so valuable for our staff as well, even just for day to day queries that come through rather than not having the information to fully be able to provide them with. We can get that now. No, we're really looking forward to this partnership. I know it's in the early stages, but already we're all sat around the table and we're talking about services, so that's a positive. (laughs) Now, Mikey, you mentioned just a second ago in one of the previous bits that you talked about is that the different types of community who need surrogacy and, and, you know, where they come at it from. So, you know, we have our membership base is probably 50-50, hetero, same-sex. And we all know that, you know, same-sex couples, they come at it with a very different perspective on life. They're often very excited. They've been thinking about it for a long time. It's their natural next stage they might have just got married but ultimately they know that they need to use surrogacy and they're at peace with that and have planned for that journey and they take that those steps knowing that whereas often with our heterosexual members they're often there because it's often their last resort it's not a place they ever planned to be or wanted to be and they've often you know been through quite a horrific journey whether it be through illness cancer whether it's through multiple loss miscarriage we've even had members who've lost you know close to full-term twins you know there's some real horrific stories and it's it's really difficult to hear sometimes but they all come with different needs and wants don't they and you know as as a as a partner 
you know, how are we going to make sure that all of the people who need what they need are, are taken from? That, that's what we do as an organisation is kind of we accept that most of those people from our heterosexual community may have embryos already. They don't know even if surrogacy is possible. They don't know, you know, if they are going to need to use an international destination. How do they get their embryos there? All of those elements. And I know we're going to talk about that in a second. But then and then but then from our same sex or even hetero people who need to create embryos, how do they do that? Do they need donor eggs? All of those components. And I think it'd be really good to start talking about some of those individual bits from a clinical point of view uh, as we start moving forward, Michael. This is where Wes goes off script a tiny bit and then I have to like rein him back in and I'm and I'm looking and I'm looking at him going, Where the f are you going? Um but Wes, nice segue was about the clinical point of view. So who, who wants to take this? So if we're looking at IPs, what should we be considering? What should our members be considering? We're at the beginning of the journey. They're embarking right at the beginning. They've got embryos or they're creating. What are those top things that we need to consider? Yeah, so I will take that one. Uh, so essentially what we need to be sure about, it's exactly what kind of journey we are going to start with the patients, okay? So just going back to basics, we need to understand if, I mean, in order to a new human being to be created, we need to see who is going to provide the sperm, who is going to provide the egg, and who is going to provide the uterus, the womb, okay? So essentially the recommendation there will be to have this this conversation with, with the doctors uh, to see essentially where we are and what is the, the journey that we want to going to enroll into. And in that initial com- conversation, we need to see what what are, what are the reasons why we need to go to surrogacy, and then of course start addressing what will be the points or what we need to check first. For instance, uh, it will be completely different as you just mentioned before. If we are just talking about heterosexual couples, if we are talking about gay couple, exactly where to start. For instance, it will be standard pretty much for everybody who is going to produce a, a, a semen sample to check the quality, sperm concentration, and everything. And on the other end, if we are talking about uh, traditional uh, traditional uh, surrogacy, potentially we will not get involved in that area because that is going to be happening abroad. But if we, we are talking about heterosexual couple as well, there is the other kind of elements that we need to cover. So, but essentially, just to go to the point, it depends on the journey that we are going to enroll in. Mm-hmm. So if someone has embryos already at your clinic, what would happen in their case if they had come to the end of their fertility journey and it was no longer a successful route for them doing IVF and the decision was then made to explore surrogacy abroad. What what does it then look like for that particular patient group? Unfortunately, the issue that we have in Ireland and the issue that many clinics have in Ireland so far is the lack of a clear pathway for those patients. And that's why we're so thrilled to be a part of this partnership to see if we can try and ease that for some people. There is a lot of licensing requirements and a lot of specific requirements based on what that journey will look like for that patient. And it's unfortunately, it's not a one rule for everybody. So there is definitely legislative requirements that we need to consider. Our lab manager would have heavy input at this stage and um, potentially having to apply for a license and different different things. So part of the problem in Ireland is the lack of clarity for these couples. So it's difficult to say they would need to do X, Y, and Z Mm -hmm. because I would hate to give one recommendation and then for it to be, you know, not suitable for the country that they choose to to go for and so on. And I'm I'm glad you said that because that's kind of where 
the reason behind the partnership was to create some clarity and, and hopefully make things a little bit easier. You know, just going on to that point, Karen, is I think what I try and do with intended parents, like everyone's got a story, everyone's got history, there, there's lots of different dynamics to everyone's case. And what I typically would do is try and understand all of the components and then try and look at how we advise them and what their best options are. Now, as an organization, we will never tell people that they have to do this, this and this. We will always present them with a list of options to help them understand how they could move their journey forward and then allow them to kind of make the decision themselves. So one of those big decisions will typically be, you know, if they can't do if they've come to the end of their fertility journey in Ireland, naturally, if they want surrogacy, because there is very little domestic surrogacy, yep. they're obviously going to then have to look at some of some international options. And we know that there are a plethora of different you know, options for them, but it's about finding the right destination for them. And I, t- I say this frequently, and Michael's going to look as if say, oh, he goes again. But like, no, I'm not. There's no perfect destination for surrogacy that it just does not exist. And it's about finding the most ideal destination for you based on your circumstances. Is it time frame? Is it budget? Is it, you know, time in country? There's, there's, there's lots of different considerations, but as an organization, we help people navigate through them. And that's, that's like you said, Karen, everyone's different. Everyone comes from a different place with different kind of components. And it's how do we navigate through them and help them understand what options are available to them and i think this this kind of relationship that we have will help us then be able to help the patient understand whether they can ship them and, and where they can ship them to and does any testing need to be done pre-shipping and you know all all of those components and i think that's why working with an organization like us who have the network to be able to help people and have the kind of infrastructure whether it be from an embryologist whether it be from our clinical team to help them navigate through all those really quite complex scenarios that are going to hopefully lead them to a successful journey that's going to give them the end end goal which they thought they weren't going to need surrogacy for but they're now on this very different kind of roadmap that's exactly what we're now trying to do their options before were quite sketchy you know what where do we go what do these patients need but now there's that there will be a way and we through the network through working with people like you and then some of our trusted irish legal partners and our other networks in the uk and internationally patients now have a a credible safe option to build their family but i think what was happening previously is people were just taking risk yeah Yeah. they were just they were kind of had their blinkers on and they were just seeing what was in front of them and they weren't they weren't seeing that they were being exploited or they weren't seeing the risk that was in front of them they were kind of blindsided by it and just really accepting and yet when anyone that wants a baby and can't have one knows what it's like to you know that's all encompassing once you decide you want a baby and you can't have one and, you know you'll do anything and you'll take those risks yeah. unfortunate as they are to do it so yeah. that's why partnering with you guys is safe it's appropriate you know it's you know educational you know it's it's looking after these people because as I said yeah when you want a baby and you can't have one you do do stupid things mm-hmm. you know because mm-hmm. you're not thinking straight mm-hmm. and these people are in a vulnerable position they, they are and they will do as Mikey said they'll do anything a lot of the time so it's reassuring for us to be able to have that reference point for them to get safe and so that they're reassured and that we're reassured um, to have that safe point of care for them. Yeah, so on, on my end, I, I have to say that I, actually, Mike and Karen, they are absolutely right because 
from the medical side of things in SIMS, we are capable to do all the investigations that we require. But it's sometimes the, the, the guidance of, well, if they go to Mexico or they go to UK, they might need extra DNA frag or doing another investigation that sometimes we do not have that information because it's very particular for each country. Having, having a, a partner like yourself is definitely is going to uh, add, add a lot of value for us as a clinic. And one of the things you said, Karen, is that it's, it's, we, we often hear in surrogacy about vulnerable women as in the surrogates mm -hmm. and how vulnerable they are. But actually, th there's, there's a vulnerability for intended parents. We see it all of the time. Yeah. And I think we always have to refocus that, you know, everyone in surrogacy potentially can be vulnerable. And how do we manage everyone's vulnerability? And how do we put scaffolding around people, both surrogates and intended parents, to make sure that no one's being taken advantage of? And that's why working with an organization like us, we can help you navigate through that. We can help you see the things that you're not naturally seeing. And I don't want to keep going, oh, my surrogacy journey can whatever, but that's the reality. That's what I deal with day in, day out with intended parents. You know, I'm hearing that some some IPs are still going to Ukraine, even though it's a war zone. I mean, I mean, like, what logical sense would you need to think, oh, I'll go and do my surrogacy? All of the options, you'll go do your surrogacy journey in a war zone. I think it just goes to show. And it's like Mikey said, when you are, when you are, and, and, and I hate using the word so desperate and focused on building a family, you... You just sometimes don't see some of the real obvious crazy things, you know, and you, and you look at the number of babies born, you know, still this year in Ukraine to Irish nationals. It's that that number's, you know, steady. Yeah. And we need to educate people to let them know that there are other options and they might not be as close as Ukraine but they are certainly safer and the welfare of the child and the surrogate is not going to be giving birth in a war zone and ultimately it's that scaffolding as Wes just mentioned it's keeping everyone safe most of all your patients so what what is the what's the legal stance about embryo creation for surrogacy in in Ireland is it is it possible it's not impossible but there's no legal stance when you talk about embryos, so embryos already created, again, it's down to the clinic. So we would have lots of embryos from oncology patients that they haven't come back yet, but they will come back one day and maybe they'll have to do surrogacy. And it depends on whether they go to San Diego, Canada, you know, but the regulations are all different. Mm -hmm. The screening bloods at the time of the embryos. Now, there's there's no legislation at all for, say, heterosexual couples at all. There's yeah. not, isn't there? No, you know, we're waiting for it to come true. This right. is going to be yeah. the year that the law is set. Yeah, like it's definitely a year of change for fertility in Ireland this year in general. And the hope is that more legislation for IPs um, will come out by the end of summer. But again, look, we've, we've seen loads of delays so far with the legislation in Ireland in relation to fertility funding. So... We just don't know. I just checked that this morning just to be 100% sure and, and they are absolutely right. So there's still no legislation and that's a topic that is actually not touched yet. You know, mm -hmm. So we don't know. Mm -hmm. So in theory, heterosexual couples could create embryos for the use of surrogacy in Ireland and uh, same-sex couples could in theory, but it depends where their donors from. If I mean, it's about donor availability, right? Which is often the biggest, one of the bigger challenges with same-sex couples creating embryos. It's about donor availability that's, and, yeah, and where, that's that, where that yeah. donor is. So we're seeing country options for just people generally just get fewer and fewer. And um, we've seen, obviously, Ukraine become more of a challenge. And we've seen this year that Georgia um, is soon to be shutting the doors early next year to non-nationals. What do you see or what change are you seeing in Ireland with people exploring international surrogacy? Mike, I'll go to you first. 
Um, changes, yeah, Ukraine is the biggest change, I think. Um, you know, I know there's still a steady line of patients going out there, but um, that was probably the most popular. But then we hear about India as well. We've heard for same-sex couples, I think Canada seems to be. Um, I've heard Brazil, um, although I haven't met any people that have uh, gone out there. And then San Diego in, in the United States as well. Um, I hadn't heard about Mexico or Mexico City until you guys came along. So, you know, that's good. Um, and I think what it comes down to as well, the cost varies between yeah, all these really places. Does, really so does. I don't think, as I said, we'll get back to the desperation of being a parent. Um, a lot of the time they might have used a lot of their money trying to have a baby already. Yeah. Like I've seen couples go from IUI to IVF to ICSI to egg donation. At that stage, maybe they've spent... 50,000 or 60,000 euro and now they're going to spend another X amount of money you know along with all the grief um, so yeah it's, it's varied totally varied and I suppose that's part of the problem that we're fertility professionals and we're saying well we've heard of people go here we've heard of people go there you know we don't know the clear pathway and all of the options that's out there is so confusing for a couple so you know as I say we're dealing with fertility patients every day and we don't know you know we don't have a clear answer for you and that's part of the issue, the, the muddy waters surrounding the welfare of the IPs, the welfare of the child, the welfare of the surrogate herself. So it is really difficult to, to kind of have some clarity around that for our patients as well. Yeah, to be honest, m- many times I, I just learn from my patients where they are trying to uh, get the treatment. So sometimes they are they are telling us, uh, Alice, you know what, I, I tried already in 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 Ukraine now trying to move to uh, Canada. Canada seems to be one of the options that is like kind of... Uh, like, like, like kind of building up but the other ones I, I, you see is, is we are learning from patients sometimes we don't know uh, where the, where the will be the, the best destination for the treatment as, as you were saying probably there's no one best, best no. destination yeah. and and interestingly the, the places that you're all mentioning are, are, are definitely the mirroring some of the stuff that we're also seeing in the UK but let's just unpick Canada because Canada was for, for people in the UK was the third most fourth most popular destination for years and it used to be a destination that we used to recommend up until this year, um, where we are no longer recommending Canada because the wait time now in Canada for a surrogate is three, four years. Um, so we're seeing so many people just stuck. And, and, and even people that are members of ours that have now moved their journey. But Canada used to be a really popular destination. You know, treatment's good. Legislation's really favourable. It's altruistic. But the journey time is just getting more and more challenging. I think, you know, when if you look at the Irish intended parents and my understanding of, of Irish is that a lot of the heterosexuals would go to Ukraine, Georgia, mm-hmm. and the same sex would go to Canada. Because, uh, you know, unless you have the budget to go to US, then then that, that was there. But you're going to need like, you know, 250,000, yeah. which is, you know, not everyone has that, you know, and that's just for one, one child. So one of the drivers for creating our Mexico City program was that we heard Canada was, was a, a real mess, if I'm being really frank about it, in terms of how long it takes, the amount of agencies, the process, and how long are people just stuck in this holding pattern for years and not getting any further along? You know, we had a, a an intended parent who'd been on a waiting list for like 18 months and he was still number 70 in the line. And it's like, is this ever going to happen? So we, you know, we originally looked at 
the Mexico City program because of our UK program because the wait's just quite long there as well, two years. But there were people who didn't have the patience to wait in the UK but didn't have a US budget and then they didn't have the, the time to wait for Canada as well. So there was always this middle ground and for us Mexico City was a great location because the wait time for surrogates is, is low. It's about three months which is amazing. It's probably one of the lowest in the world in terms of wait time. Now is it always going to be three months? Probably not as more and more people start thinking that's a viable destination those wait times are going to just get a little bit higher. But you know particularly for Irish intended parents the exit process for Mexico City you'd be there what you know two weeks pre-birth maybe four weeks post-birth and then and then you're out you know it's a really robust and quick quick exit process but for us Mexico City was that if you're HIV positive you can use that destination if you need double donation I know you can't do double donation here for returns but generally it's friendly to a lot of lot of different situations and it's really inclusive. And, you know, the, the, the price point, I think we're looking at around 80,000 euro for Mexico City. When, but when you look at, you price that against Canada and the US, that's, that's really achievable. And for us, you know, Mexico generally has a, quite a bad reputation from a surrogacy point of view. But for us, we only work in Mexico City. We don't work anywhere else. It has a good legal framework. It's, you know, there's, there's, the surrogates are well looked after. They generally are, you know, they work, they have families. They're just like ordinary people. They, they, they do an amazing job. But uh, yes, it's commercial. But ultimately, even in these commercial destinations, to want to be a surrogate, you've got to do it all. You've got to want to be to do it altruistically. It's not just about the money. Your 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 drive is about helping people first and foremost. But Mexico City has a great infrastructure to compensate and look after and make sure that everyone's getting what they need out of it. I think again, just to in terms of some of the countries that we're we're seeing pop up, and and this is really for 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 our listener. Um, you know, we are seeing destinations like Colombia looking like that's likely to close. We're seeing more and more people explore Mombasa and Ghana, uh, Albania, um, Turkmenistan. Turkmenistan last week someone was talking about. But you have to go and have your IVF in Albania. All destinations which just scream exploitation and risk. just risk. So. Um, you know, if you listener have been Googling some of these destinations, please, please, please get some independent legal advice. Speak to someone that can hopefully get you on the right track um, or certainly uh, look us up for for more information. Let's talk about IPs needing donor eggs then. Uh, well, in Ireland, it, it will be pretty, pretty similar to what we have discussed uh, before. So we don't have the donors as such. And probably the reason behind that it is that it's a small country so a small population and we we normally I mean what we are seeing is that not many people is keen to have a um, donor where they don't have all the details so essentially what they are doing here a lot is is known egg donation meaning that uh, if, if, if a couple it's uh, is willing to get pregnant and they do have a friend they, they they do that okay when it comes to surrogacy of course we, I know that we're talking a completely different different story there but essentially the answer will remain kind of similar which is um there is no there is no a program in our clinic but other clinics as well about egg donors as such um yeah so it, the 
that's unfortunately where we are. Yeah. No, sure. And, and that, that's the reality, though, isn't it, of, of you know, donation in Ireland. It's not very, there's just not enough donors. If, if any, there's not a lot of donors. You might get known donation, you know. We have some cases where the same-sex couple and one of the sisters wants to donate, mm-hmm. so they yeah. maintain that biological link. And, we do link, that. and mm. you can do that, no problem at all. Yes. And I think some of the challenges with, you know, having to use international donor programs is that, you know, what type of characteristics are you looking for? What type of donor are you looking for? How how realistic is it that you're going to achieve the donor type that you're looking for? But again, I think I talk about this a lot that on this journey, you're going to have to compromise unless you want to throw everything at it and go to San Diego and spend, you know, get your perfect donor, perfect clinic, perfect everything. But that's going to cost, right? So if you don't have that budget and you still want to achieve as close to, there's going to be some compromise somewhere. Yeah, and I suppose from our point of view as well, the biggest thing around somebody who does require donor eggs and surrogacy is the support that they get around that. Because often you'll find if somebody needs donor eggs, they get a lot of comfort from being the gestational carrier. But vice versa, if they need surrogacy, they get a lot of comfort from being the genetic link. So I think for us to know that they have a good support structure around them whenever they're they are requiring donor eggs and surrogacy as well so it's almost like it's and and we see this a lot it's like um grief of not being able to carry grief of a genetic loss and and that's one of the main reasons why we have an irish counselor that can work on the ground with our members that can go through all of the various stages of 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 grief and loss with a with a surrogacy journey especially for an intended mother Mm -hmm. um that's arrived at a destination where she had no intention of even being here Uh, it's just making sure that everyone's on the same page is there an age limit to do this donors or for intending parents it depends on the destination that you're going to and the agencies that you're working with as destinations some of them will have an individual uh, age limit and some of them will have a combined age limit so as an example some of the US clinics they'll do a double age limit so or the the, the age limit is no more than 120 or 110 depending on, on how old the intended parents are and I think it's just you know there are no limits per se, but it's about the ethical and welfare of the child assessments that the individual clinics and organisations do. Uh, and like, who are we to play God? But you, th- th- at some point, there are some some elements where you say, "Is this, you know, is this right?" Yeah, it, and it's always around: um, is this child going to be parentless by the time they're fifteen? Mm. You know, it, so it's it's looking at the age of of the child's intended parents, and you know, having that harshness around is is this going to be okay for that child yeah i think as an organization we also have to have them not a moral stance but we always have to look at everything i mean what i would standard kind of call is is if like if a clinic will treat you we'll support you you know so if you can get a clinic to treat you whether wherever that is in the world then if you can get them to treat you and we think it's right we'll we'll support you so if we've got embryos already so a, a set of intended parents I mean, this this could be same sex couple. They might have they might have moved from uh, the UK into Ireland and be living in Ireland, have embryos in the UK, or they might have. A, you know, we hear all sorts of stories where people have embryos all over the world. Yeah. You know, and you know, we know we've got heterosexual people who need who've got embryos already, then uh, starting to navigate surrogacy. How how would you approach you know any of your patients that have embryos here already? Would you just be looking at what the requirements are of where they're going to ship them, and then look at how you would facilitate that? Yeah, exactly. So for any so there could be it could be 
embryos created with donor eggs because we're partnered with Manchester Fertility and we're partnered with Portugal and we're partnered with Spain as well. So we ha- may have those embryos in our clinic. So it all depends on where those embryos are going to land. So if they were going to go out to Mexico, what what does that clinic expect of us? You know, what bloods, etc., what um, screening bloods were done at the time. So it could be all well and good that they'll accept the blood. Really, we're at their mercy. Um in whether they'll accept the embryos that we have frozen or not. And I suppose it depends on the jurisdiction as well. So like in the UK, there's quarantining, there's every every kind of jurisdiction has different needs and wants. And again, it's back to that dynamic approach of where are they, what do they need and where do you want to get them to? Yeah, that's it. And as well, there's some licensing requirements and applications that would need to be done on, on our behalf, depending on where the embryos are going to be shipped to, which can also take a, take a couple of months sometimes. Um, so it's about having a full assessment by the right people um, for that as well. Yeah, and on the medical side of things, we are willing to help. So uh, as you just mentioned previously, there's clinics like, oh, surrogacy, no, we don't deal with this, but we are willing to help whatever their requirements are. Sometimes they are they are going to request us to do a summary care letter or whatever is required just to help them and uh, move the process, we will do it. And Alex is right. You can imagine for those couples that have had such a long journey with us and spent so much money, IVF, ICSI, egg donation, then imagine we turned around and said, sorry go on yeah. off to the next wherever yeah. to do your surrogacy journey be quite yeah. cruel yeah but, but you hear but you hear no it, and it does happen it, it happens and like when, when we were just ringing around to try and get semen analysis last year for some Irish intended parents it was constantly no like no room at the inn no sorry <laughs> we can't help you no and we were like come on we just need we just need to help these guys out but it was we were faced with so much resistance and if that was your journey and almost being told, no, it's not, you know, not moving along. It must be, it must be tough. Alex, let's talk about shipping. Because like some people, they have this question like, well, how do my embryos get from A to B and are they safe? What's the process? You know, how do we ship them? Just tell us about, you know, what generally the process is for shipping gametes. Yeah, it's it's normally taking time. So the process, once we are getting the request, we definitely need to link in with the lab. Uh, our lab manager and our scientific directors are the persons who are pretty much involved during the process. But but essentially, uh, given the fact that we are regulated by the HPRA, what I know that is normally happening is we we request that to our authorities that we are going to ship embryos or gametes uh, abroad. Okay, so that process, as Karen mentioned before, it can take uh, one or two months potentially. Uh, and there's a lot of preparation and paperwork that 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 must happen in order to do that to 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 be able to chip the the embryos. So it's um, the the process will be on the individual basis. So we we need to see what the requirements are, where the where the shipment is going to be to, and then link in with the with the laboratory. It's more related to the lab. The I have to say the 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 lab manager and the scientific director rather than myself and or medical side. But on my end, what we do is we we cover all what is recommended in terms of uh, screening process or letters or, or whatever. But yeah, it, it takes, I would say, one or two months. And it's uh, kind of an, an exceptional process, which we need to request to the HPRA. And generally, the risks associated with moving gametes, I mean, generally, it's pretty safe, isn't it, in terms of 
gamut to move around the world all of the time. Oh, I, yeah. I, I yes. sometimes hear from IPs like, can it, can it, is it safe? What's going to happen to them? Yeah, they're you know, always really afraid of what's going to yeah. happen, aren't they? Yeah. And I get it because some people, they, they, these might be the only embryos they have left and they're, they're kind of, they can't make anymore. So there's such precious cargo. Yeah, no, I, we do have those those uh, paths uh, pretty much in place. We we are bringing uh, gametes and embryos from uh, Portugal, from from Manchester, as Ma- Mikey just mentioned before, uh, and that is in place. And 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 thankfully, thankfully, we haven't had any kind of issues, uh, and they seem to be very very safe, very easily. Yeah. Right, we're drawing to an end, everyone. This has been emotional. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So, right, for our Irish listener that needs surrogacy, I'm going to come to each of you individually for a piece of advice. I've dropped this one on you, by the way. So their faces now, they're like, what? (laughs) Um, And Karen, I'm coming to you first, I'm afraid. Give me a piece of advice for our listener, please. I would say to get in touch with my surrogacy journey. <laughs> oh, look at that. No, but honestly, I would, from a professional, a fertility specialist, and as we've already discussed about all of the muddy waters and all of the legislative requirements that are there, or should I say not there, um, the key bit of information that I want to get across is speak and get advice from people that you can trust and people who have been through the journey with couples and people who know what support is required and don't take that risk because we've already discussed about how precious these embryos are and how precious this whole process can be for some people don't take the risk and I know that the desperation can come kind of take over sometimes but get early advice get legal advice and get the support that's that's required to make the journey that bit easier that's great regulation how do you follow that, <laughs> you follow that? <laughs> my game well, I'm going to like yeah. Karen's like that's, the hall monitor yeah. don't take any risk <laughs> don't take any risk get all the advice you can I would say following that I'm like don't be afraid um, to have fun either and get excited about it because it is a magical journey and it is the journey to parenthood and it is what you've always wanted um, so do rest assured that you guys are going to look after the intending parents and we are so happy to be looking after the intending parents we just you know we all know how back backwards Ireland has been in the past and this is really progressive so you're in good hands so yeah don't be afraid to be excited either and I think often when you've been on such a tough journey it's about knowing that it's possible that it can happen as so I think you, sometimes people have been in such a negative space where they think it's never going to happen you know surrogacy Michael and I approve of that. We have two children through surrogacy and we deal with a lot of people who've had children through surrogacy. It's it's absolutely possible. Mikey made my answer sound so serious, but I agree. I second that. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously have fun and get excited about it as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. You, 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 I, can be the, I can be the harsh one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I will agree with Mikey and Karen. I think they have covered pretty much everything, but it's important to speak, speak up and then come to clinics and come to the... the to the professionals and come also with the with the with the people that is willing to help. I will say there is there is clinics that they definitely want. We are here for helping. We are here for everybody, and absolutely we are going to look after them. And of course, uh, trying to advise the the best possible route of action for them. And of course, going with yours yourselves as well because absolutely they are going to get a good advice. Cracking. I just want to ask one more thing. M- Mikey said he was broody. I know, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm bringing it into my own home casually, you know. <laughs> since since May, yeah, yeah. I act, we only actually talked about it a couple of weeks ago, but yeah, see, it's so possible with you guys. And when we were having our kids years ago, it wasn't possible, or it nearly seemed impossible. So, 
yeah, even listening to you talk earlier on, like, how could you not want to do it? And there we go. Good question, Mike Kenny. (laughs) (laughs) I think as well, it's a very exciting time in Ireland with hopefully the new legislation coming soon, hopefully the conversation is starting a little bit more and it is, it, as Mikey said, it all just seems so much more possible than what it had even a year or two ago. So that's all very positive and that's all very encouraging for us and for intended parents. Right. I think that's it, Wes. I think that is it. But there's a, a lot going on. The, you know, Ireland is definitely one to watch in the next year of what's going on with surrogacy. I think it's, you know, hopefully it's going to change beyond all recognition and be a lot more positive than it is. So we're definitely watching on the sidelines, waiting to see what comes out. Wow. Wow. Just another insightful, really helpful episode that I know that someone is going to get something really valuable from that. By having just three experts sat in front of us talking about all of those different components. We always go in a direction that we never anticipated and a lot more stuff comes out than we ever thought was possible. Uh, I really love this episode and I love listening to the Irish accent. Oh, anyway, if you like this episode, then please subscribe to the series. If you want to find out more about My Surrogacy Journey, then please head over to our website, www.mysurrogacyjourney.com or you can find us on Instagram at official My Surrogacy Journey. Thanks for listening. We have been your My Surrogacy Journey podcast hosts. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.